Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Love of God. This is part four of that series. This is uh, the compelling power of the love of God. This is lesson number seven, and this is the third part of uh, three. the thought the three dimensions of a burden that started in verse five or, or lesson five, six, and this is lesson seven, which is the third part of the three dimensions of a burden. The the continuing lessons after uh, verse or in lesson eight and after will all be talking about what happened, what God is willing to do for us, to us, and through us when we finally come to the place of being compelled by the love of God. So that is the less the, the title of this lesson number seven. The the third dimension of a burden is the love of God compelling us to be involved with the lost. I'm going to read here. I actually we're going to go all the way back to verse six and read down through verse fifteen, if you would permit me. Second Corinthians five. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done or the consequences of the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. In other words, if we are this desperate to see you saved, that needs to have an impact on you as a sinner, right? But let me keep reading now. Second Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For where we, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is unto God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, or compels us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 uh, from the Amplified. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us, because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. And then again, verses 14 and 15 in Weiss. For the love which Christ has for me presses on me from all sides, holding me to one end and prohibiting me from considering any other wrapping itself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive, having brought me to this conclusion, namely that one died on behalf of all, in order that those who are living no longer are living for themselves, but for the one who died on their behalf and instead of them was raised. Now, the third dimension of burden. Again, very, very briefly, the first dimension of burden is when I'm involved 
with the work of God of reaching the lost and ministering to the new convert and seeing the saint grow in order to save myself because if I'm not involved with God, keeping his commandments and doing the work of God, I'm disobedient and I am in danger of being lost if I die in that condition. The second dimension of burden is as I'm involved with people and I'm doing it for my sake ultimately, but as I'm involved with people and I begin to feel the Lord's love for those people, then I begin to love them. And as I begin, as he gives me more and more of an understanding of the eternal destination and how, how uh, hopeless it is for anyone to get ever, ever get out of that, then I get an urgency a passion to reach the lost myself. And now I am out there passionately trying to convince everybody I talk to uh, that they need to be saved because they don't want to face the judgment seat of Christ unsaved and the result be that they are cast into the lake of fire forever. But, the first one of those is about me. First dimension of burden is about me being saved. The second dimension of a burden is about others being saved. But the greatest and third dimension of a burden is the one that the Lord wants to get all of us to. Some, they never get out of the first dimension of a burden. In fact, they kind of quit there after they put in their time. And the third dimension of a burden, or second dimension of a burden, others, you do that until you get so burnt out with it because you can't carry the weight of that yourself it just absolutely eventually wears you out. Some, it wears out quicker than others. But the more focused you are, the more urgent you feel, the more willing you are to, to reach these people, to do whatever I've got to do to reach them, the more willing I am to do that. Uh, but until, until I get to the point where I can only drive myself so far because I am operating on my human love, my filio for them, not agape, and that eventually is depleted, and then I am burnt out. And unless I let God bring me to the place that he restores me in him, then I will end up discouraged, dispirited. I will quit, give up, and I will be lost, even though... I now intellectually, I did emotionally, but the emotion's gone. So now I, I know intellectually that this is not good. But I don't have any energy left to do it with because I've been doing it with the emotion, the energy of my emotions. So we get to the compelling of Christ's love. For the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us. The love of Christ constrains us. It compels us. I'm reading again. I'm going to read uh, from the uh, Bible uh, directly instead of my notes. For the love of Christ constrains us. It says to hold together, to compress, to arrest, to compel. Uh, it means to, uh, to hold together with constraint, to compress, uh, it also means to hold completely, to hold fast, to make a prisoner of one. We become a prisoner of the Lord's love. And as his prisoner, he compels us, constrains us. 
What is it that compels and constrains us? Because we thus judge or we come to a place of discernment that causes us to fully see the situation that if one died for all, then everybody was dead. That if one who was alive because he was innocent and never sinned had to give his life for those that were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 1 and 2 and 1, then if the only way he could save the sinner was to die, give his life and die so that the dead could live, whoa, what does that mean to me? And then I further understand that he died for all and his motive for dying for all was that others could live. But wait a minute. That's not what it said, is it? And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto, the, unto him which died for them and rose again. Wait a minute. So he was alive because he, didn't, he hadn't sinned. And so he's innocent. And we, according to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, were dead in our trespasses and sins. So he gave his life and died for our sins so that his life could resurrect us from our spiritually dead condition. But notice what he says. And that he died for all, that they which live. Wait, it's not talking about the sinner. We were dead in trespasses and sins. His, him giving his life in death enabled him to reverse that in us. His life resurrected us out of death and now we're alive. But here's the message. That's why this is the third dimension of a burden that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. So the compelling power of love is this, that while I come to God because I don't want to go to hell, and my initial involvement in the things of God is because I don't want to go to hell, and then eventually I'm involved with the lost because I don't want them to go to hell. I, I, I still don't want to go to hell, but... I don't want them to go to hell either. So since I don't want to go to hell, I don't want them to go to hell. I'm involved with them. But it's still about me because now I don't want them to go to hell, but I'm doing it myself. I'm living for God. I'm working for God. I'm reaching the lost myself. I've told this story before, but uh, a great man of God, younger than me, to say the least, uh, but a man that was doing a Tremendous work for God, tremendous Christian, loved God, and had a great church. And he was the actually the pastor over, became the bishop over several other churches. And uh, I went, the first time I went to preach to him, I watched, observed everything. I watched him. I watched his feelings, his burden. He was very focused, very focused. Everything was everything was focused. He he was head up. He wanted to see the lost saved. And that whole church had bought into that. They didn't want to see a law saved. And 
he was being driven and he was driving them and they were going along. They weren't rebelling. And uh, it was amazing to watch. And then uh, after I was done with my last service there, and he and I went out to eat and in the car as we're leaving the church, headed toward the restaurant. I asked him some questions and he didn't realize I was setting him up. I said to him, you really do love the lost, don't you? Yes, I do. I said, uh, you really do have a burden for the lost, don't you? Yes, I do. I said, you really have a passion to reach the lost, don't you? Yes, I do. I've told the story before. Some of you have heard it. And I looked at him and I said, and that's the problem. It's your love for the lost. It's your burden and it's your passion. And it's wearing you out. I said, right now you're on the verge of being sick. And just within a couple of weeks after that conversation, I got communication from him that he had been sick and in bed for a week or more. He was sick. He was worn out. His wife was worn out. His kids were worn out. The leadership of that church was worn out. The whole group was worn out because they were stuck in the second emission of a burden. And I said, that's the difference between me and you. I don't love the lost. He looked at me. I said, I don't have a burden to reach the lost. Looked at me. Because he thought he knew differently. And I said, not only that, I don't have a passion to reach the lost. I said, in fact, I'm going to shock you with this. I could care less if they all go to hell. Now he really looked angry at me. How, how dare you? And after he stood for a moment, I said to him, but I've got more love for the lost than I've ever had before. I've got more burden for the lost than I've ever had before. I've got more passion for the lost than I've ever had for the, before. But it's not my love for them, it's his. It's the Lord's. It's not my p- burden to reach them, it's his. And it's... Uh, It's not my passion to reach them. It's his. And he simply does it through me. And while you're exhausted and on the version of being sick because of that exhaustion, and you've got this church worn out from being exhausted, I'm not tired, and I'm sick, and I'm I'm not sick, and I'm a lot older than you. And I go just as hard as you do. But it's not me driving me. It's the Lord sending me, and he's doing this work through me. Because that's what love does. Love is the motive. Love is the power. Love is the agency. Love is the expression. Love is the goal. All of that and more. All of that and more. I read to you uh, at the beginning of these lessons something the Lord gave. And all of this part four is based on this. The love of God is the impetus for all biblical ministry. The love of God is the source of all biblical ministry. The love of God is the power behind all biblical ministry. The love of God is the motive for all biblical ministry. The love of God is the agency, the agent of all biblical ministry. Seeing others receive and grow in the love of God is the goal of all biblical ministry. 
So the love of Christ constraineth us. We thus judge that if one died for all, then everybody was dead. Everybody was already dead, dead in trespasses and sins. The one that was alive died for those that were dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah. Because the love of Christ wants us to get this. He constrains us to come face to face with the biblical, the eternal facts that if God himself had to prepare a body and be manifested in that body, and because it's the only body God had, the only blood God had, to enable that body to live its lifetime without sinning so that it could be the innocent sacrifice, that if God went through all that, to die in our place. There's only one reason for that to be the case. We're all dead. And hell is for the dead. We are spiritually dead. We are alive to ourself. Our will, our ways, our wants, our likes, our dislikes. But we're dead to God. His will, his ways his likes, his dislikes, his priorities, his plan, his purpose. And even though we come to God because we don't want to go to hell and we get involved because we don't want to go to hell because we don't want to be judged for not obeying the commandments. And then we begin to really get some idea how bad hell really is. And now we really don't want to go to hell, but knowing that terror of the Lord, we don't want man to go there either. So now our human emotions get involved and our human commitment is, and we get really involved with that. And God lets us, because it's good for us. Because as we do our best and we get rejected and we get turned down and some get saved, but most do not. And we get, we're tormented by all the ones not being saved. And the, the ones that do get saved, it's not enough to, to salve and soothe this, this, this urgency we have to see people not go to hell. Finally, the love of Christ comes back and says, but the love of Christ wants you to see this, that the reason I went through all of that was because even though people considered themselves alive in this life, in my dimension, they were dead. And my dimension is the eternal one. And they were dead. And the only way I could save them from that death was for me to provide a life that would be my own life, but the only part of me that could die and and be tempted and not sin so that I would it would be a valid sacrifice, innocent sacrifice that could suffer the penalty of sin, which is death, so that that death could then be the antidote to the death of them 
every human being so that I could then give them life because my death took care of that which was keeping them death, sin. Through water baptism, uh, through repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name where that old man is buried. And so me giving my life in death was able to do away with that which was causing their death and then my life is now what resurrects them to walk in newness of life. But I'm saying this to you, O oh, you that have received my deliverance from that which was causing you to be dead to me, and now that you have my life, that you receive by me giving you my spirit, and you receive my love when you receive my spirit, because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. That if you've received my life and you didn't deserve it because you were dead and you couldn't resurrect yourself, that you shouldn't be living for yourself. You should be letting me live through you, which is exactly what Paul described in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. That's verse 21. Now, look how beautiful this plan is. Okay, God created man alive, but he made a choice. That choice became sin. And that sin separated man and God. So man, for thousands of years, tried to know God and fellowship with God with sin in the way, and so he never able was to be never was able to be completely reconciled to God. He might have faith, but he had to do all kind of blood sacrifices and go through all kind of rituals, just trying to keep himself reminded that he was he needed God. So here we are. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, with his great love wherewith he loved us, he caused it, he in his plan caused himself as the word to be manifest in flesh. And then he let that flesh face every temptation in this life that any human could face. And by the grace of God, the spirit of the Lord in that man empowering him, he did not sin. So he was alive. He wasn't dead because of sin. All the rest of us from Adam on have been dead because of our sin. We're dead. We may be alive in this life, but we are dead. She that liveth in he that liveth in pleasure is dead while he she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So any of us that live in pleasure are dead while we're living. Those world's pleasure. We're dead. We're doing that just trying to have some kind of life, but we don't have a life. So he gave his life in death for our sins, that which is causing us to be dead spiritually and not in fellowship with God. And so through his death, his death, burial, and resurrection, he, through us being dying in repentance and being buried with him in water baptism, removes those things that cause us to be dead 
And then he gives us his life by his spirit coming into us, his divine nature coming into us. That's what Paul, Paul said these things exactly in Romans chapter 6. He went through this exact thing that I have just done here. And then here we are. We're alive. We're no longer going to hell as long as we keep walking with God in faith and obeying him. We're not going to hell. And, and now we're not going to hell because we don't want anybody else to go to hell. But we've done that till we're at the end of ourselves. We're exhausted. So the love of Christ says, no, it's not over. But it's time for you to give up completely and really live. Because now you need to die for them. To die for them, you've got to die for yourself. You Now you've got to die. I gave you life from the dead, and you used it to save yourself, both in the first and second dimension of a burden, but in this third dimension of a burden. Now you're going to give up your life so that I can live. I gave my life so you could live through me. You could live. But now you're going to give up the life that I've given you and die out and no longer use that strictly for yourself. But now you're going to let me live in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, now live, not in eternity, now. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, there it is again, see? That faith, the faith that gave up its own life for the lives of others is the faith that's now living through me so that I am compelled by the love of God to be Christ's follower in not living my life if you love your life here, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll find it. You'll save it. He said that in a couple of different places. Slightly different ways each time, but the same exact message. And here we are. The love of Christ compels you and I. The love of Christ, not guilt, not shame, but the love of Christ compels us to give ourselves to him completely. Oh, that goes back to the first commandment, the greatest of all the commandments. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that one creator God, the God of the whole universe, the one that is filling the universe, but the one that the universe is in, that God, by his logos, which is himself, expressed in the time and space, came to to be as a man and suffered a horrible death in our place because he loves us. And he's expecting us to look at that and go, I give myself wholly to you just like you gave yourself wholly for me. And now you died so that I can live. By your grace, I die and stay dead every day so that you now can live. And that's how the love of Christ for the lost can minister through me and it doesn't burn me out. 
and the burden of Christ for the lost can minister through me and it doesn't drive me and it doesn't cause me to drive others. It lets me lead others. And that's why the passion of Christ for the lost can be expressed through me, but it doesn't wear me out. It doesn't exhaust me because it's him living his life in me and through me. That's what we're called to in the three dimensions of a burden. Now, God's going to say more things to us, important things, very important things, things that will explain to us why he went through all this trouble to get us to this place where his love is where we're compelled to give up ourselves so his love can flow through us and minister through us to a lost and dying world and to a church that needs strength and to backsliders that need to be brought home. We have this responsibility to do that. That's why from Matthew to the end of Revelation, the ultimate message is not about life. The ultimate message is about death. He said, I've come to give life and that more abundantly. We all get life, a measure of life, all the life that we can receive at that point in the first dimension of a burden. And then we exhaust that life in the second dimension of a burden. And then we get a brand new, completely kind of life, so much so that it's called abundant life. It's not the same thing. I get life at salvation. I get abundant life at being crucified with Christ. I don't get life and that more abundantly meaning one after the other. It's not like, it's not like that. It's life and I live, I'm alive with that life. And, and I want to keep that life, and I don't want to go to hell, so I live the, all the first dimension of a burden. And now that life is compelling me, and my emotions get involved with that life. So it's still his life given to me, but it's now got my humanity, my emotions involved in it. And now I'm driving, I'm pushing, I'm doing everything I know to do to try to see people saved. And then I run out of energy, and it may take some of you decades to get there but you will get there you'll get there because ultimately the the compelling love of Christ leads us to a place where we give up our life even the life he gave us at salvation and now we're living his life or he is living his life through us so we no longer have a church. It's his church, totally. We, oh, we, we give lip service to that, but that's not the way we feel about it. We no longer have a ministry because it's his ministry now. We no longer have sermons because it's his word now. We no longer have blessings because he owns everything. Everything I have, it's not mine. I'm just the steward. He owns it all. That's what the Lord has done in our lives. That's what he's done. It's what he's doing in your life and mine. Now, because of this stuff, some are so relieved to hear this message and they're thankful that to find out how close they are to really having all that. And others are going, 
No, I don't think so. That's too far. I don't want to go that far. But here's the point you're missing. He will see to it that this runs out. If you press him to have to do that, it will run out. It may take days, weeks, months, years, decades, but it will run out. And when you get to that place on empty, because you forced him to get to that place on empty, because the compelling love of God, if you won't respond to it because of revelation and knowledge and the teaching of the love of God, if you won't respond to it like that, then the compelling, constraining love of God, constraining. So you're not only compelled, but constrained by the love of God. You will get there. He will bring you to the end of yourself. He brought me to the end. Took him 57 years to do it, I'm sorry to say, but the question is not whether or not I got there or when I got there. It's whether or not I got there. It's not, it's not when I got there. It's whether or not I got there. And I will tell you this. You can hang on and make it be later than sooner. And trust me, I can tell you by experience uh, while I was telling myself I was working for God, I was stuck in this second dimension. I was giving all of myself to him. But I was doing it through my strength, and this, that strength was the strength of my emotions. And that all runs out eventually. And the Lord saw to it that it ran out for me because when the building collapsed in the snow in February 40, uh, of of '03. I was already depleted. I was already at a place where I was pushing myself, just pushing myself, because I already had less energy emotionally. Well, I still had it physical energy most of the time, but I had less emotional energy, and I'm still pushing myself because people are going to hell forever. But the Lord saw to it. He wasn't willing for me to continue to go till I gradually came to zero. He just sent an unprecedented snowstorm to this area that's never happened before, and it certainly happens hadn't happened since. And he brought it all to an end, and it didn't take him long to do it. And it was just 17 days short of being exactly 16, six months is all it took him to take me to rock bottom emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, where, like I said in the previous lessons, I still wanted to go to heaven. I wasn't going and doing sin, but I didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't have anything left to do this with. And that was my most spiritual day when he brought me to the end of myself, and I had to make a choice. I'm going to give up on God or I'm going to give up on me. And I had to, the love of Christ not only brought me to the end of myself, but it empowered me to give up the second dimension of a burden, which is the most noble expression of humanity there is. Because it, it's what compelled Christ, except that it wasn't filio that compelled Christ to die. It was agape. But we're doing it through filio. We're doing it through filio, our human emotions. And God brings us to the end of that so that we will and do his good pleasure. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the grace of God would open your mind, heart, spirit, and let you see just how absolutely indispensable this revelation is to you reaching the place and getting into the place where God can do all that he wants to do through you in these last days. I pray that you would receive that. I pray that the grace of God would be stronger than your flesh and that whatever flesh does to resist the, the grace of God, that the love of God would compel you past that to do, to reach the place where that they that live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Because that's ultimately the idea here. Am I going to take this life that he paid such a high price for and that he's given to me freely, unconditionally, and then take that life and waste it for my on myself in the temporal dimension? Not if you've been paying attention to these all these lessons on the love of God, and especially the first six lessons of this part four. You can't continue to keep that for yourself. I pray that it, that will be the case. I pray both elements of the amen. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, it is so. Amen and amen. God bless you.